Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Idiom Brewing Company in Frederick, Maryland. Hey everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands and today I am joined by Josh Cross, the bar manager at Thatcher and Rye and one of the best old-fashioned makers in the world. I don't know about in the world, but hopefully in Frederick. I mean, definitely in Frederick, but I, I'm i just going to go and definitively say in the world. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> and, and at this point, you can't argue against it. You have both Ben Little and I giving that endorsement, so... Well, strong praise. <laughs> um, so a little history, uh, and it's not old because I met you last week uh, when I was writing an article about finding the best old. I, originally, I was going to just declare one the best, but there were, there were several that were really, really good. So now it's just finding the best old fashions in Frederick. Uh, and I was urged repeatedly, um, almost on a daily basis, to contact Josh by Ben Little, the uh, head brewer at Other Half. And as as Ben declares it that you and just a lot of positive praise about your mixology, bartending and general uh, alcohol skills. So I went to Thatch and Rye and Josh made me one of the best old fashions I've ever had. And in speaking to you, uh, you put a lot of thought into crafting a cocktail. So I thought it would be awesome for you to come on and impart some of that knowledge with us. Yeah, I definitely appreciate it. Um, so let's just start off with talking about old fashions because I'm still in that mode. That article would have come out yesterday, so I hope people seek it out and read it and uh, be kind. My editor at least said it turned out great, so hopefully the general public agrees and, yeah, don't, and don't tear me apart instead. <laughs> um so I guess like I, I felt like in talking to you and you talking about um, your old fashioned, you really put a lot of thought into that drink, and I would assume across the board with any cocktail you're making. So, like, what was what's your thought process in in behind behind making making a well crafted old fashioned? Yeah, I mean, overall, I I want someone who has a drink in my bar to not quite notice all the work that goes into a drink. Um, but I want there to be like a lot of behind the scenes, careful considerations that lead to that first sip being like, Oh man, that's delicious. And which for the record was my reaction. <laughs> and I don't, I don't want people to like have like a ponderous drinking experience where like, I don't know what's going on in here. Like, uh, it's like an old fashioned, but I don't know. Or uh, other cocktails in general. I think things should not necessarily be simple, but the overarching goal that I have is like a response from someone who takes a sip and they're like, oh man, that's delicious. Um, so I guess with our old fashioned, we were talking about it and it all kind of started with Thatcher and Rye reopening uh, in the end of 2020. And I was talking to Brian Voltaggio, my boss, and I was like, one thing that I want to do is make the best old fashioned Frederick. And I was like, I, I honestly think it kind of starts with the ice. Um, so it was like, we need to get large, big, 
perfect ice cubes because I, at the time, no one else in Frederick had it. And I was like, I think that's the defining feature of our old fashioned. Um, It drinks better that way. It looks better that way. And people have a hard time doing it at home. Um, And then attest to that through my, I don't know how long I've been trying to, but finally I bought something that actually makes clear ice. Yeah, I mean, but I have like a small freezer and the ones that actually do it well, they're like cooler sized and oh, yeah, they'll, they'll make like four ice cubes. and Mine does six and it is igloo cooler sized. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> I've, I've got too much stuff in my freezer yeah. to that. I mean, I have a chest freezer in the garage. That's the only reason why I'm able to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think part of going out to drink is getting something that you either can't make it home or might be like kind of a pain to make it home. It's so like, yeah, you can make clear ice at home, but most you, people aren't going you, to go You and your that. friends can come to my bar and if there's four of you, you can all have eight old fashions and it's, you know, free flowing, pretty clear ice cubes. And delicious. Yeah. And then, uh, after the consideration of the ice cube, I mean, Brian like agreed to buy me like a chest freezer that we have downstairs uh-huh. um, because we'll we'll get sent like I think it's like three, four hundred at a time <clears throat> and there's no storage space upstairs. So it's like uh, if we do this, we have to get like a, a big chest freezer like just for the clear ice because you were talking to me about like how do you do it at scale yeah, I mean, it would be impossible. Well, I guess if you throw enough money at something, it becomes possible. But in a realistic budget and space constraints of a restaurant in a historical building in downtown Frederick, the being able to produce it yourself would yeah, be I mean, close the, to... The hardest thing would just be time. Yeah, uh, it's Like I was telling you, I used to work at a bar in Boston where... We would get the giant cube sent to us. We'd have to wait for it to temper. We had this like bag of Japanese ice carving tools. Yeah. So I got good at using those. But yeah, it'd take me, I don't know, at least an hour, probably an hour and a half to break the whole thing into like perfect cubes. Do you do you follow any like mixology accounts on Instagram? Um, not a lot. The main one is usually like punch drink. I haven't seen that one, but there's a guy I, I follow, the Thirsty Whale, and he recently had videos on like, making ice, and it was like he had all those Japanese ice carving yeah, tools. Yeah, you have, and you have like, like a, a long cleaver, a rubber mallet. Yeah. You have uh, the knife. saw. You have a the, knife that's only that's sharpened only on one edge. Uh, yeah. Anyway, long story short. Don't want to do that. Way too much time. Um, See so yeah, how we talked about ice, and then was so was it a hard sell at all, or did he? I don't, I don't just think so. I mean, I think that uh, it was just a couple ideas that started with like the beginning of the bar. Okay, uh, and then whiskey. Um, kind of the second most important thing like i was saying to you i mean like i think everyone's like free to like call a brand or whatever but i just spent a lot of time kind of picking out one that i think kind of just covers all the bases and those bases being like 
kind of splitting the difference between a bourbon and a rye using wild turkey 101, which is what we use. Um, I think that for the money, you can't really get a better bourbon. It has a high rye content, so you get some of that spice that you'd get with a rye whiskey, but you get some more of the, like, caramel and confectionery notes that you get with a bourbon. And it wasn't like I just was like, oh, I like wild turkey. I'll do this. Like, I literally had one of my reps come in and bring in, like, 10 different bourbons that all like fit the criteria for price and proof. And I made 10 old fashions and I blind tasted them all. And then I ranked them all and I did it a second time. And, uh, I think wild turkey was the winner. I wish you would have called other people in to help with that. Yeah. Taste (laughs) testers. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me usually, and this is good advice for like people at home. I think that a stronger bourbon usually works best. So, 100 to 114 proof, um, something that's got like a little bit of a kick to it just because it's, it's going to have to stand up to dilution from the ice. It's going to have to stand up to the sweetener you're using. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. But Would, would the dilution be the biggest um, thing it's battling or? I mean, the, just sweetness. Okay. I think like uh, you throw like a well, I guess if you're 80, using 80 to 90 proof bourbon into an old fashioned, I think it's going to, it's going to drink a little sweeter than something that's got okay. that makes sense. a little more proof to it. And with added proof comes added viscosity as well. Um, which also affects the mouthfeel. Same thing with the sugar. Uh, we use uh, two to one rich sugar syrup made with sugar in the raw that allows you to use less of it, and it also adds viscosity to the drink. Um, I mean, I've played around with, like, different recipes for, like, years, and finally when Thatcher opened this was just the one I settled on. Uh, and then I also thought amazing was, like, whereas you you don't make your own bitters. Um, no, you making your own do. bitters is hard, and <laughs> it, you have to, like, use specialty scores to get all these like barks and yeah. like, you know, like chinchona bark, stuff like that. Uh, I mean, it's got a, it's got infused for like a month. But I feel like what you're doing is only one tiny step below just making your Yeah. Own. I mean, so, uh, what we do is we create like a house bitters blend. Um, I mean, that's also like an efficiency thing. So you're not like grabbing four different bottles of bitters every time you make an old yeah. fashioned. But uh, it's mostly Angostura bitters. And then it has a little bit of Fee Brothers orange bitters, which are kind of like bright and juicy. Uh, a little bit of Regan's orange bitters, which have some more spice notes like cardamom. And it's a little more bitter. And then um, Jerry Thomas decanter bitters, which are... Another, like, really nice, complex, spice-forward, aromatic bitters. Yeah, I uh, – so how how much work did that take to to come up with the, the blended ratio that you – I don't – I will – at first it was just like, oh, it'll be um, <clears throat> basically an ounce and a half of Angostura and then an ounce of orange bitters. But then the uh, Fee Brothers Orange Bitters were the first ones we were using, and it was just a little too flabby, a little too juicy. So I split it with the Regan's Bitters. Um, and then 
I don't know. I think the Jerry Thomas bitters thing was just to like, I don't know, add a little <laughs> extra zhuzh in there. Yeah. Uh, going back to like one of the things you pointed out too about like the, the your thought process of what offering at a bar is in the like getting things that are too complex or at home. Whereas like where I watch those videos and like, well, that sounds really good, but there's no way in hell I'm going to buy all those different ingredients when like it'll be a, I don't know, like a $60 bottle of some specialty liqueur that you use a half an ounce in, in a drink. Yeah. I mean, I always told people that like the last word cocktail is the reason you should go to a bar. Cause if you want to make a good last word at home, so I don't, how, I don't know how much money. Is. Okay. So this is kind of a good story because it's the cocktail that got me into bartending okay. and it happened at Volt where I had it for the first time. I was like, I don't know, 21 in like 2010. Uh, so it's equal parts, gin, green chartreuse, which is like this, uh, really super complex herbal liqueur from France. It's made by monks, um, lime juice and maraschino liqueur and uh you shake it serve it up like a gimlet but it's like a gimlet on steroids there's like so much flavor to it so much complexity to it and uh back when i first had it it blew my mind i mean i never drank anything like that that was so delicious so complex yeah also pretty simple i mean it's only four ingredients but like i was saying you want to make one at home you're going to spend at least 30 bucks on a good bottle of gin. Chartreuse is almost impossible to find now because the monks got lazy. <laughs> I don't know. Their press statement was they wanted to focus on other monastic activities, which, oh. I mean, distilling is a monastic activity, but still. Um, that will run you like 80 bucks now. It used to be like 50. Maraschino liqueur is now 35 bucks. Then you got to buy a bag of limes. You got to juice the limes. You got to strain the limes. Yeah. You got to have a cocktail shaker at home, glassware. You should just come to a bar. I'm lazy at home. I don't like making drinks at home. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, are one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. Well, it's kind of like the uh, what the cobbler's kids yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. too, probably like that, after spending your evenings making drinks for other people the last thing you want to do is make your own yeah i mean i think most of my bar tools are like at work now because <laughs> yeah. uh, like one, th one thing will get broken <laughs> and be like oh i have another spoon at home i'll bring that in yeah. or i uh, i have another peeler i do have a really cool like vintage martini set because like i don't trust anyone to make martinis for me except for myself so I will make martinis at home when I'm feeling fancy. <laughs> so is the old fashioned your favorite cocktail or that's just what you no. wanted to hang your hat on? <laughs> I, I maybe drink two old fashions okay. a year. Oh yeah. That's, that's pretty low on your list. I, I think it's just, so. I've had so many of oh. them 
uh, and I've made so many of them. And then, you know... And some idiot comes along and wants you to make more to write about them. And no, I mean, I, <laughs> I like uh, if, if someone picks like something pretty interesting that I've never made an old fashioned with before, like bourbon or rye, whatever, you know, I'll do a straw taste on it and be like, oh, wow. That was like I was talking about the Woodford Double Oak old fashions, which we sell a lot of. Um, have you had Woodford Double Oaked? I have not, but so, I bet it's really good. I love do- Double Oaked like, whiskey. Yeah, like toasted burns. Yeah. They're super desserty, and they always have kind of like this chocolatey graham cracker marshmallow s'mores quality to them. And I was saying earlier, like I usually like a higher proof, um, something more with a bit of a kick for an old fashioned, but like it works. I mean, like it's on the sweeter side, and it's I would recommend it as like a dessert cocktail in lieu of like an actual dessert but i um i really like uh sagamore's double oak sagamore double oaked is unbelievably good and i i didn't get to try that until i went out there and recorded an episode with them and they it was early in the morning when they brought out a taster of Glen Karen's of every one of their products for me to drink while i was there early in the morning yeah it was like uh I think it was like 1030 maybe. <laughs> I went to a gin tasting one time at like, I don't know, 10, 11 in the morning. That's aggressive. Just, yeah, sipping <laughs> straight gin first thing. And I hadn't had the double oak yet. And before we had that, I just was like, if this is even close to how you uh, you guys describe it in the ads that I am fed on social media constantly, because at that time, I don't know if it was like when the double oak first came out or they just were on an advertising blitz but I felt like I couldn't go on Instagram or Facebook without seeing an ad for the Sagamore Double Oak. And it's exactly like the desserty drink that they describe on it with all the yeah, caramel yeah. and vanilla. Like, it's just amazing. So I'd, I'd, I need to make an old-fashioned out of that. Yeah, I but yeah, I'm actually um, I'm more of a Negroni guy if, uh, if I feel like drinking a cocktail. That's your your main go-to? Yeah, I mean, it's like the, I don't know what else to get. I don't know about this bar's cocktail menu. It's a pretty hard drink to mess up, too. Though I, I have had Negroni's messed up. How do you make yours? Um, just because I'm difficult, almost equal parts. <laughs> so it's like one ounce Campari, one ounce sweet vermouth and one and a quarter ounce of gin. <laughs> and then I build it like an old fashioned on a big, big cube of ice. Cause I think it's a drink that, um, handles dilution well, and it kind of gets better as it dilutes. And then, uh, also because I'm difficult, uh, I use like an orange slice now, even though I was a peel guy for years, okay. like I would never throw an orange slice in an old fashioned but for some reason, I think the the slice gives it a little bit more of an after, uh, sorry, before dinner kind of uh, juicier aperitivo vibe. Is the Negroni is a like a classic pre prohibition cocktail, right? Or is that a newer? It, it definitely was created before prohibition, but it started with a cocktail called the Americano, uh, which is sweet vermouth, Campari, and soda water. And then there was actually like a Count Negroni. It's crazy. But um, he wanted an Americano, but a, I mean, guy liked a strong drink. So he's like, no soda water, let's put gin in it. And so they, they named it after that guy. I mean, okay. there's probably some like apocryphal. 
qualities or, or apocryphal parts of the story, but that's how I heard it at least. But really it was he just didn't want his drink being diluted with water. With soda water, yeah. I mean, I love an Americana too, but. Um, I, I actually, I don't know that I've ever had a Negroni. I, oh, I, I would say it's only maybe in the past two two or so years that I've really gotten more into spirits and was own. I mean, when I was younger, I did all like the basic person cocktails. Like like when you're going out and you just want to get as blitzed as possible, like long Island iced teas and electric lemonades and like basically the sugar with a bunch of alcohol in it. Uh, But then I was just beer for the longest time. So it's only recently that I've really started broadening my horizons into spirits and cocktails well i'd say i could make you your first negroni but i don't think anybody ever likes their first negroni (laughs) and like even though i think i make a good one like the first time i had a negroni i was like what the hell is this i was like like, drink this garbage (laughs) i was like i thought it tasted like cough syrup i struggled to get through it again i was like 21 were you not a gin drinker at all was it the because I feel like gin is a pretty no, I, I think it's uh, it's the bitterness is okay. See, I love bitter. Taste. So yeah, but like, do you remember the first time you had a really hoppy beer? Yeah, I thought it was disgusting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think the first really hoppy beer I had, I mean, this is probably 15 years ago, was like Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, and I was like, oh my god, gross. Yeah, that's not terrible. But the first, and, yeah. I would say the first hoppy beer I ever had, like super hoppy beer, would have been um, Flying Dog Snake Dog. And that sure, is a yeah. very bitter IPA. But yeah, bitterness is an acquired taste. So, uh, you know, drinks with a morrow, I, I think, can be challenging to like people who are just getting into spirits. I had, and I just had a Sazerac for the first time. It was only a few months ago, but I love that. That was so oh, good. Don't get me started on how finicky my Sazerac is. Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, now I want to hear it. All right. So we can pretty much only make it in batches, um, but it's predominantly rye whiskey, a little bit of American brandy, um, a one-to-one raw sugar syrup, and then a little bit of Ango and a lot of Peychaud's bitters. Okay. But, yeah, the, the recipe is weird and you kind of can't make one at a time because it has like three-eighths of an ounce of Oh, so like of just the ratios. Yeah. Of, okay. Because I was making it like in a way that made more sense and I was like, ah, oh, but it's too sweet. Yada, yada, okay. yada. And the, the brandy thing I like, um, I had like a guest the other day who was like, oh, do you do you make like a proper Sazerac? And I was like, well, I think so. I think we make like a, a fun one. And I was like, it has rye, but it also has a little brandy. He's like, oh, well, brandy, like it doesn't have brandy. I was like, oh, actually before phylloxera devastated Europe's vines, like brandy was originally used in the Sazerac. I mean, it wasn't even really until the phylloxera epidemic that Americans started drinking their own native spirits like rye and bourbon because brandy and rum were way more popular before that. What I'm learning is that if there's one thing no one should do is question um, you on any sort of alcohol knowledge. I don't like to be, I'm, I'm, (laughs) I always try and just be informative and I never try and be a dick about it. Well, no, but I mean, you're not at all. It's just like every, it just always becomes apparent that you know exactly what you're talking about and you have, you have devoted time and energy into learning everything alcohol. 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was like pretty much my whole twenties, and I was I was obsessed. Like I said, it probably started with that last word at Volt, and it's uh, snowball gone from up there. to today. Yeah. I had what what type of ride do you use in your Sazerac? I we use the old Overholt Bonded. Okay. Um, I think uh, before like ride became super popular again, old Overholt was like literally like one of the only rides you could get. Yeah, now everyone has one. Yeah, yeah. I had the the one I had was at the Speakeasy that's in the basement of the William Penn Omni in Pittsburgh. And they used it was the first time I ever had it and I love it. The Dad's Hat Rye. Oh yeah, we talked about Dad's Hat Rye. Yeah. I no, we don't need to talk about Dad's Hat Rye. You don't you don't <laughs> like that one? I, the the vermouth finished one is like just not for me. Oh, uh, I didn't. This was just the straight, the straight one. Yeah, yeah, just straight rye. I w- I want to, I want to get some of that. Or at least, although it could have been just the Sazerac that made it taste so good. Maybe well, uh, on its own, it's not as great. But. If you do like a, a really standard, less kind of bartendery Sazerac, the the actual Sazerac rye makes a great one. I have from some Buffalo of that, Trace. Yeah. yeah. Um. So do you? I feel like. And I, I'm not deep into the world of bars and stuff, but I feel like just the couple few people that I've had this conversation with, it's a hot topic <laughs> of whether you consider yourself a bartender or a mixologist. And it seems like it's an age thing that really. Uh, I don't I don't really care unless it's meant like pejoratively. Okay. Like. You know, someone like, oh, he's a mixologist. So like, is it more that? But if someone's like really admiring like all the time and effort that you yeah. put into something, like they're not being mean. They're just like excited that you're doing cool stuff. They're like, oh, he's a mixologist. That I well, I mean, it was really the first time I ever even was made aware that there was some sort of thing about that. Is I referred to someone as a mixologist and they got offended by it because I they. I guess yeah, I mean, people I'd, do I'd, say it is a pejorative. I, I don't really care. I mean, I, sh- I just, like, shake drinks for a living. I think that their their response was, I don't wear a vest and tiny glasses. Yeah, I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad we've moved away from that. And also that was a pretty all-male, dick-swinging kind of environment <laughs> that I remember from starting out. And thankfully I've worked with a lot of wonderful female mentors and bartenders throughout my career and it's less of a boys club now which is good well it does seem like a lot of like the rock stars in the cocktail world are women now yeah i mean what was the uh the bartender's name who won the netflix show lp yeah and um i i thought a lot of the women on that show were were besting the men by far yeah and she's amazing too yeah she's the i i don't she probably makes a better old-fashioned than me i did not get to try <laughs> anything that she's made i should make that happen but just interviewing her and talking to her she was an amazing yeah. person um so going back to like we talked a decent amount about it and you mentioned it already and i think it was a conversation with you where you said not enough people put the an emphasis on the ice as as they should and do you look at it is that just purely based on because it will die like if you're using the wrong kind it dilutes it more or is it also like 
because of the quality of the water used, it could impart off flavors or what, what's the biggest key to the ice? Uh, so if it's like an old fashioned, I think it just provides like longevity to the drink. Uh, if you're using like really small kind of chip hotel ice, your drink's going to be like really watery pretty quick. And, uh, the bigger ice, it, you know, just melts slower and you're getting more time out of it, retains the flavor. Plus, like, I mean, I, I think after a couple minutes, sometimes a cocktail can kind of take on new dimensions through kind of slow dilution. Okay. Like opening, opening it, opening it up a little yeah, bit more. Yeah. I mean, like I was saying with Negronis, I think the first sip can be a little too bracing, but then I think after, you know, maybe a few minutes of dilution, it's really mellowed out and some, some other flavors have kind of come in to harmonize with the bitterness of the Campari. So you had that last word, and it blew your mind. Yeah, at, was at Volt. It, was, it, was it like from that point on where you, you th- that you wanted to get into making and crafting cocktails yourself, or was it a slow burn after that? I mean, I, I was just like pretty full-blown obsessed. Like I bought like every bar book at the time that, was, that looked really cool, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I first started really bartending in 2013 for uh, for Brian at Family Meal. Okay, and you know, I had some good mentors there. This guy Steve Keeper, who was the bar manager at the time, really helped me out. But then the I think the biggest move was I moved to Boston from 2015 to 2017, and it was my first experience like working in a city and Boston just had like a really great cocktail culture, really, really good bartenders. And I was lucky enough to work at this great bar called back bar, which is in uh, Somerville. And, um, that's pretty much where I learned how to like make drinks the way I do today. Um, it really forced you to be creative there. Every day you had a shift on the main bar, you had to come up with a completely new drink, which was called a drink of the day. And sometimes you had to come up with a drink of the week. We changed the menu all the time. How is that even possible? Well, I mean, I guess you can make little twe- little tweaks, but or did it have to be like fully unique? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there were days where some bartenders were like, I tried it, didn't work. Uh, we're going to put a sidecar on the menu for today. <laughs> Uh, so, but for me, it was like failure is not an option. So like (laughs) you only had like one shift a week on the main bar and I just think about that drink like all week. I'm like this week we're going to do this. Um, but yeah, I mean to, in order to fully become a bartender there, um, you had to make from memory 50 different cocktails, some of them classic, some of them like other modern cocktails. And I think I... The only mistake I made was there was one cocktail that I put chocolate mole bitters in that was supposed to have Angostura bitters, and my bar manager, Sam, still caught it. <laughs> and he's Rookie like, other than mistake. that, you got everything. <laughs> I um, I only ever make margaritas and old fashions at home, and I feel like I still have to reference <laughs> a recipe every once in a while. Yeah, I don't. So I would not make it as a bartender anywhere. Thankfully, like, I'm, I just, like, once it's in my brain and I made it, like, once or twice, like, I just remember it, which is nice, but. 
Yeah, I not there's there's no way I could do that. I But then yeah, I, have I mean to look after, everything up. After the pandemic, everything kind of came full circle and I I was so excited to get the call from Brian about taking the position as bar manager of Thatcher. Uh, and I mean, for most of my time as a bartender, I have worked for Brian. So, so it, he, it's rec- he been recruited you back to Frederick. Well, I, I was working at Family Meal for like a few years before the pandemic. Okay. Um, but then when they reopened Thatcher, yeah, he approached me to work at Thatcher, and it's just been it's been home for the last three years. How? How different is it running a cocktail program in a larger city like Boston as opposed to Frederick? Is it like do you do you feel like does Frederick still have a cocktail drinking culture? Or is it so much smaller that it's not comparable? Uh, I, I mean, I think there's a couple great restaurants in Frederick with great cocktail menus, and I would say now as opposed to ten years ago. Um, People in Frederick are drinking things that they they weren't ten years ago. I mean, mezcal is like pretty ubiquitous now, and it's not um, as esoteric as it was maybe ten, twelve years ago. Some people will actively come up to me like, "What can you make with mezcal?" Or like, "I love smoky cocktails," or "I love spicy cocktails." And I mean, we're close to Baltimore and DC. People go to bars in Baltimore and DC and they have fun drinks and I'm I'm trying to like you know keep my own standards but also um not just dial it in the uh but Thatcher and Rye still is kind of a a destination spot in Frederick still right where like people will tr- it has a big enough name and well I mean especially because Brian Voltaggio yeah. being involved that people come up from D.C. or out from Baltimore all the time to go there. Yeah, so we definitely get people who will drive aways to come in. But the nice thing is that for the local community, I mean, our our price points now are, are pretty much in line with, like, wine kitchen, tasting room, to, to the point where it's a restaurant that you could go to once, twice, three times a month. Yeah, I, I was surprised at the price of the old-fashioned. I thought it was going to be more expensive. Especially, yeah, with- I think, and well, I mean, I'll definitely cost everything out um, to take into account, like the cost of the ice, the yeah. spirit, everything like that. But uh, it's, I mean, it's not New York City. We can't yeah. charge New York City prices. I was just there, and I think the cheapest cocktail I ordered was nineteen bucks. Yeah, I I can't afford to go out in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just like bleed money yeah. if you like leave whatever hotel you're staying in. Um. But uh, that, but like that's mainly what I was thinking. Like when you when you take into account every aspect of the cocktails there, I w- I wouldn't have been shocked if they were more expensive. I mean, look, I still think so I, I think I, they're a great value. Basically. I still think fourteen fifteen dollars, which is what we charge, is still a good bit of someone's money. And I think I take really seriously what I'm doing because I want them to feel like it's worth it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's super, super important for me that everyone l- likes everything. So, I've also been told that Thatcher and Rye has the best hamburger in the world. Uh, it's it's pretty good, yeah. <laughs> Which I would not have thought of. Uh, Thatcher and Rye is the place to go for a hamburger. Yeah, I mean, 
that's another one of those like it seems like a simple dish, but there's attention to detail there from like the selection of the meat to using aged cheddar to like making your own burger sauce. Um, there, there's thought behind something that's simple. And I mean, every Wednesday and Thursday too, we do a burger deal. So it's, it's not like back in the day at Volt where I think it was like 11, 12 bucks and you got like a burger and like a cocktail. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I mean, you know, there's inflation, but yeah. now the deal we offer is $20. You get a burger, you get a side of fries and you get a lager from old mother Hank. Okay. So the Hank from old mother. Yeah. And if you come in on a Thursday, the whiskeys are all half price. So you could get a burger and a beer for 20 bucks and you could get a whiskey for half off and come in at like 30 bucks. Just live your best life. Yeah. <laughs> So um, this weekend is, I guess some people love it, but one of the worst weekends in Frederick that happens every <laughs> year uh, where multiple businesses go all out. It's the first Saturday fire in ice event. It's not fire and ice. It's fire in. That is yeah, correct. But it right? was in the yeah, street no. <laughs> and then everyone called it in the streets so and they now changed. they call it in the streets. Yeah. <laughs> so well, my petition is just call it fire but, and ice. <laughs> but didn't, didn't they not change the name until, cause isn't it expanded beyond just market now? So it is multiple streets. Maybe, but forever. Oh yeah. Called every, it in the yeah. Streets. No one's, and I, then there were a lot of people that took glee in pointing out that they were wrong, that it was in yeah, the street. Who cares? <laughs> um, I mean, what does fire in ice mean? Like the, the passion no, yeah. within the ice sculpture. Yeah, I have no idea what they mean by it. It's just one of those things that I, I, I like being that person. Um, but the only reason I say it's miserable because it's the one weekend where you cannot navigate downtown <laughs> because I don't know how many people show up, but it feels like half the state descends on Frederick to look at these ice sculptures and see some fire. Uh, but Thatcher and Rye historically has gone all out uh, and has a lot of stuff going on at the restaurant. Yeah, um, so... Um I I wasn't there when it was Volt, but, I mean, they've always done, like, an ice luge with whiskey. Yeah. So we brought that back last year, and then we're doing that again this year. Um, and this year we're fe featuring uh, Makers 46. Have you had that? No. So it's, like, a cut above standard Makers mark. Um, so this is, like, in between that and, like, the 101 or whatever well, they call They have a couple uh, base offerings, but the 46 is kind of fun because we were talking about, like, toasted finished bourbons. That Maker's 46 was kind of one of the OGs of that. They finished with okay. uh, toasted French oak staves. Um, and I always, always thought it was delicious, but uh, we're doing a nice luge with that, and we're featuring a couple cocktails with it. We're doing old fashions with Maker's 46. Uh we're doing hot toddies, and then we're doing, like, a hot chocolate with bourbon and Irish cream in it. Nice. And then, yeah, yeah we're throwing in, like, a orange cranberry crush as well. Um, and you usually, if I remember correctly, you always have, like, s'mores and stuff set up. In yeah, the, I don't know exactly what we're doing for, like, okay. food. Yeah. But, um, yeah, drinks-wise, drinks, drinks wise, we're the have, important parts. Yeah, are. I mean, at least it's not going to be like crazy cold this year. I think it's like it's in the fifties. I think. Oh, and really? Sunny. Yeah. Oh, everything's going to melt then. Yep, it's going to be one of those years where they don't last. Like 
there will be few, fewer of them for people to go around Saturday night to destroy. <laughs> but like I was saying to you earlier, yeah. it's like people get so mad that people knock down the ice sculptures. And it was like, I think there's like a truck that picks them all up the next day and takes them to their fate anyway. Like, I think you're right. Yeah, because they're... Uh, some places seem to keep them around for a little while, but I think like, especially along the Creek, maybe the vast yeah. majority well, I mean, of them it would be a up. dick move to do it on Saturday be- yes. before <laughs> midnight. Yeah. So if you're out <laughs> destroying do not kick a- an ice sculpture down before <laughs> the children are in bed on Saturday <laughs> night. That, that, that's where Josh crawl, draws the line. <laughs> think of the children. <laughs> they need to be safe until the children are <laughs> yeah, asleep. Sure. I mean, I have nothing against it. Um, I mean, it's good for business. I mean, in the street. Oh, yeah. From a business standpoint, it's amazing. It's just the I, the last time. Is I it went, hard to work it? Yes, it's it's difficult. It's going to yeah. be a very long day for me. But, like, you know, it's what we do. I just sat on E Street for, like, 45 minutes one year. And it was I was so pissed off and I wasn't even going downtown for any fire and ice stuff. I like I just had something I needed to do. And I made the mistake of going on East Street to get out of town and just sat there forever. Basically, yeah. I'm an old curmudgeon. Yeah, I mean, it happens. <laughs> uh, but this year, I, I'm just going to go down early and walk around and like park on the very far outskirts of town and walk <laughs> and walk my way in. Uh, but I may have to come get one of those maker mark old fashions. Or you should just take a shot from the luge. I don't, <laughs> I'm not a shot guy anymore. Yeah, neither either. am I. If, if I order a whiskey now, it's always like, I want to sip on it. Yeah. Like actually enjoy it. And I think I feel like volt because I think Folt always had the luge also. They did. They did it with a bullet bourbon. Yeah. And I, I think they were the first ones to do it. There are multiple now that are. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure they were the first ones too. Yeah. I never went to any of those because I was working. I probably um, had a family meal. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think Showroom has some big thing planned for this weekend too. But I can't remember what it was. Well, that was what hard when we were at... Uh, when family meal was like still family meal, the, you know, we would get some business from the people who didn't want to like drive into town, okay. but it was always way tamer for fire and ice and then the streets up there on East street. Yeah. With that air, it, it just, and, and I, I do it in my own, own head where like I don't consider that shopping center or that area on East street downtown, but it's what three blocks from like, it's right there yeah but i mean it feels so far from downtown i think it's like a small th- city thing like i said i i just went to new york um and like a 30 minute walk in new york city just doesn't feel the same as a 30 minute walk in frederick yeah yeah i guess because like you're just it's easy to drive everywhere so like there, there yeah. becomes that mental block of but in new york you pretty much for like you have to because you're not going to drive something that you yeah, really no, have no. to walk yeah, for. Yeah. Um, so then what, what is your absolute favorite cocktail to drink mm. and then follow up? What is your favorite to make? Mm, let's see. I mean, I think it's like picking your favorite band where like you can't kind of just pick one. Like I said, I love Negroni's. 
I love, uh, I like martinis a lot. And then there's uh, this other cocktail that I love both drinking and making that's called a tea punch. Um, so it's made with rum agricole, which is like a fresh sugarcane juice rum, kind of like cachaca. And the drink's kind of like a caparina, or I think of it as being like a, uh, a stirred daiquiri. So, I mean, it originates from uh, the island of Martinique in the French Caribbean, and rum agricole has been produced there for, like, centuries. And uh, it was a spirit that I just, like, fell in love with. It was, like, nothing I'd ever had before. It's got some tropical notes, some grassy notes, and then some kind of, like, weird industrial notes, like almost, like, rubbery or petrol. And um, the tea punch is almost kind of like an old-fashioned in that it's just super simple. simple. It doesn't have bitters, but it's literally just sugar, lime, and rum agricole. I think in Martinique, they don't even drink it with ice, but, I mean, it's a cocktail. I kind of like it with ice. Yeah. Um, and the, the cool thing about that drink is that while I have, like, super strong opinions on, like, how to make, like, an old-fashioned or a martini, the whole kind of ethos behind the tea punch um, is, you know, everyone prepares it their own way. There's, like, a French phrase that says, like, uh, everyone prepares their own death or something in regards to the drink. So like some people like more sugar in it. Some people like more lime. Some people like only just like a lime peel, have a little stronger, but yeah, I mean, that one might be one of my favorites to make. And then like, I, I don't know if I'm like a masochist, but I like making a Ramos <laughs> gin fizz. Uh, so for people who don't know what a Ramos gin fizz is it's like this notoriously difficult to make cocktail it was invented by probably a sadist who was named <laughs> Henry Ramos um, and he had like a saloon or something in New Orleans and it required at the time so much shaking that he employed shaker boys to shake this like popular <laughs> cocktail and like you know other bartenders be like oh it takes 13 minutes to make like there's there's a way you can knock it out in like under five, but it has uh, old tom gin, lemon juice, lime juice, simple syrup, has a little bit of orange flower water, and then it has egg white, heavy cream, and soda water. I was I was about to ask why does it require so much shaking, and I feel like you just answered that that question. Yeah, so to make it, <laughs> you have to um, combine all the ingredients except for, like, the cream. Mm -hmm. And then you'll shake that without ice to emulsify the egg white. And then I'll usually add, like, a cocktail spring and, like, a big chunk of ice cube. And then I'll shake it for probably, like, two minutes. And then you have to pour it into a Collins glass um, with the soda water at the bottom, fill it up to the lip of the glass, wait about a minute and a half, and then finish it off with whatever's left in the tent. Here's a picture of one. I made this on. Oh, that's a cool. I made this on New Year's Eve in the middle of being completely slammed. <laughs> so and, I should come into Thatcher and Rye on Friday and order one of those. I mean, I'm. I mean, like I'm a hospitality <laughs> guy. Like uh, I'm. I'm gonna make something for someone if they ask for it. I'm I, not gonna be like I'm too busy. I'll figure out a way to make it work. I remember I was just like shaking this for almost with my left hand. 
And I was trying to figure out how to make other drinks with just my <laughs> right hand. And I was like, well, you know, whatever. Um, let, let's circle back to old fashions again because um, it sounded like you have a strong opinion about this from something you just said. How far do you think you can stray before it's not an old fashioned anymore. Well, I mean, that's it's like a debate that's happened since the drink was invented. So yeah. like it was first called the whiskey cocktail because then it was new. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't just like create a drink but like it's the old fashioned. <laughs> it had to become the yeah. old fashioned. So probably originated in like pretty early 19th century, but then around the middle to late 19th century bartenders just started adding shit to it like um, most notably, like there's this notion of improving like a whiskey cocktail. So the improved whiskey cocktail. So it's actually co- the early 1800s. The first recorded. Yeah. I uh, mean, the f- first recorded mention of the whiskey cocktail was in a newspaper in 1806. Yeah. That was the, the first mention of the word cocktail, which was just yeah. any type of spirit, water, yeah. sugar, bitters. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, it started off as the whiskey cocktail, which was usually like shaken and served up, and then it kind of like became what it is today. But then they started like adding like absinthe and maraschino liqueur and sometimes green chartreuse to it, and then you know, there's just so many pendulum swifts in the story of the old fashioned. So eventually, everyone's like, "I don't like the newfangled improved <laughs> whiskey cocktail. I want an old fashioned." So like. I don't, there's probably no one person that coined it, but like things were getting kind of like crazy and fanciful and drinkers at the time were like, just give me like the old fashioned way of doing it. Right. Um, And then probably the golden age of it before recent modern bartending was probably late 19th century up to prohibition. Um, and then Prohibition did the cocktail no favors. <clears throat> um, and I think a lot of that, like, fruit salad, old-fashioned style kind of came from lighter, inferior whiskey or maybe even just, like, That's what moonshine. I re- <clears throat> that I had read that the overuse of fruit and everything was used and to... mask the yeah. flavor. I mean, that could be one of many reasons. But then, uh, I mean, then the drink kind of, like, fell into dis- disrepute until probably like the late 90s early 2000s and you know i mean i i don't think i started seeing what we know as like you know like what i made for you the other day you know maybe 15 15 years ago that's when that. it came, swung that, back to that's when it swung back to like not the fruit salad old fashioned but like kind of this platonic ideal of the old fashioned and I mean, there's like, you know, some people like a cherry in it. I I think it makes it too sweet, but I'm not gonna care if someone gets it. Uh, I mean, originally, like the whiskey cocktail and old fashions, like lemon was a more popular choice for citrus peel garnish. Um, and oh, even now, like a lot a, of a lot of times, if someone orders a rye old fashioned, I'll do like a lemon peel, and if they order a bourbon old fashioned, I'll do an orange peel. Do you ever make them with gin? Because that was one of the things I'd read somewhere that it is thought that actually the original old fashions were, it was a gin drink. Well, I mean, 
like like we said about that like 1806 news, newspaper definition like that is like the genesis of the old fashioned and back right? then gin and was in the definition it says any type of spirit okay uh so yeah all gin brandy and rum were all more popular than whiskey at you know the beginning of the 19th century and uh yeah i mean there's um all sorts of iterations that I think work. Uh, I think with gin old fashions, I would always use like something that's barrel aged. Um, I've used the McClintock Reserve. I was just, just going to ask if that was a good. That that one makes a really fun one. And then I really like Bar Hill Tomcat out of Vermont. That's a okay. great uh, barrel aged gin as well. So what is the history or the genesis of muddling versus using simple syrup? Uh, so it, it started with muddling, and okay. it was muddling for a long time. Um, and even at the bar in Boston <coughs> where I worked, uh, we would muddle it. But, you know, it's kind of just like a speed and efficacy thing. And I, I found that muddling was kind of inconsistent if you used uh, actual Demerara sugar cubes because they – I don't want to use white sugar because I don't get as much depth of flavor out of it. But we would use um, these, like, lumps of Demerara sugar. And sometimes you'd have, like, a huge one, and sometimes you have a tiny one. And always, like, guesswork, like, okay. oh, I don't know, I guess I should use two tiny ones or <laughs> yeah. whatever. So I'm for it. I think it makes, like, a good show. Um one of my old bosses was convinced that like it helped the evolution of the drink because near the end, the last little bit of unmuddled sugar would start start to dissolve and give the drink a second life or something. <laughs> and I was like, but really I make, but, I make like, you know, 30 of them a night and I'm not trying to like muddle put on a show, muddle every, 30 yeah. cubes. Plus I, I think that like a rich syrup can give it a little bit more of a, Nicer mouthfeel. Yeah, I um, I had definitely before last week preferred uh, using simple syrup. That's how I do it at home, mm. based largely on being lazy. Um, uh, but although it's not, I guess it's you do it once. You make the syrup and you good for a month or so. Uh, but it's still, I guess, kind of a little bit of a pain to make it correctly. Yeah. I mean, making like equal parts syrups is really easy. Like if you're doing um, regular white sugar, simple syrup, all you, all you need is like hot water and it'll just dissolve easily. But for uh, for ours, we use two parts sugar and they're all to one part water. So we have to, I'll have to get like an induction burner out and whisk it really yeah, constantly. Yeah, that's, that's what, that's how I was making mine. Mm-hmm. I was using the Demerara sugar, but it was still, I had to sit there and whisk it for what felt like forever for it completely dissolved. Yeah, no, I just get on vigorously, whisk <laughs> the shit out of it until it comes together. Um, And I think that I just had badly made uh muddled ones previously mm. were in my mind I, like that was just the inferior way to make it oh it's it's not and it's not bad yeah it's, it's just like 
maybe maybe slightly maybe. different taste and just more of a pain in the ass to make. Um, but several of the places in Frederick muddle, and they made really good ones. So then yeah, I was like, oh, I guess I'm not so. here to to knock yeah. that. I just wasn't I think the only thing that I'm just not a fan of. But I'll again, I'll still do it if people want it. Is when you go like full Wisconsin style and muddle like the cherry uh. and the orange, <laughs> especially when it's like the bright maraschino cherry yeah. and an orange peel. But you know, it's they're weird in Wisconsin. They make it with brandy too, and they have all these like uh, different ways you can order it. So I think like it all starts with um, sugar cube. Orange slice, bright ass maraschino cherry, muddle that with bitters, add ice, add Corbell brandy from California, <laughs> of which I think two thirds of their production goes to Wisconsin, which is nuts. <laughs> and then you can order it uh, sweet and it'll get seven up on it, sour and it'll get sour mix on it. And then there's like some sort of in between where you get like Sprite and soda water on it. <laughs> I um, but if I ever went to Wisconsin, I'd have to try one. Yeah, I I've, I I kind of want. I would I would like to try the sour one. <laughs> well, I, I mean, the, I, maybe with like uh, like actual lemon juice and simple syrup, it could be all right. But like actual sour mix is the worst. Uh, I don't know if I've ever had it. It's just, it just you've like, probably just had it. Have you yeah. ordered? Do you like? Did you ever order a whiskey sour at like a dive no. bar? No, no. I, like I said, I mainly just. Have you had a green like, tea shot? Those are the scorches. Yes, I've had. Yeah, that yeah. sour mix, oh, okay. and it doesn't taste like. Right. Weirdly enough, it doesn't taste like green tea unless you're using like ocean spray sour mix. <laughs> so it's got to be like Jameson ocean spray sour mix and like peach schnapps, and then it weirdly does taste like green tea. But like people will come into my bar and they'll be like, "Can I get a green tea shot?" And I was like, "I can try and make you something similar, but I don't have sour mix, so it's going to kind of taste like a cocktail with whiskey and peach." <laughs> But it's not really going to taste like a green tea shot. Yeah, I uh, I actually only had a green tea shot for the first time this past Christmas. Uh, that, yeah. That's a thing at Idiom uh, employee Christmas parties, uh, which I can tell you that sounds um, wild. a Christmas party at a brewery is very different than a Christmas party at a newspaper. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> I bet. They're very different experiences. Um yeah, I was curious, and I was like, something I wanted to learn as I was writing the article, like, what was the difference in, in the evolution of muddling versus uh, using a, simple there's syrup? There's a but case I, to be made for the syrup, though, because when it was just the whiskey cocktail and not the old-fashioned, it was using uh, what they called gum syrup, uh, which is uh, syrup that uses gum Arabic as, like, a thickener. Um but then, yeah, once it morphed into the old-fashioned, that's when you started seeing, like, large blocks of ice and muddling sugar cubes. Um, and this was, like, you know, like late 19th century. And then there was also this weird thing that died at Prohibition, but 19th century up until about Prohibition, they'd serve it with a spoon on the side <laughs> so that <laughs> you, at the end of your old-fashioned, you could scoop up the little sugar that hadn't dissolved and, like, basically have it like dessert. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, like... Uh, Every every time something changes or there's a shift, uh, the older drinking generation, you know, complains about complains what, about what yeah. the younger generation's doing, and the younger generation takes their habits forward and complains about it. And, you know, it's just a cycle. Yeah. Um. Do you want to answer some stupid questions now? Oh yeah. 
Who'd win a battle between a ninja and a pirate? <clears throat> Probably a ninja. That's wrong, but thank you. What do you mean? Is he is like a scientific yeah. study? Well, yeah, I mean, it's just that a, a pirate's superior. Pirate has like a gun. Yeah, they have guns. They have cannons. They've been through stuff. They have no, <laughs> there's no moral code. I feel like, <laughs> like ninjas have like the whole. All right. I still think they're, they're probably sneaky and they could get the jump on them. Yeah, no, pirate definitely. Does pineapple belong on a pizza? Uh, I don't understand why people are in such a heated debate <laughs> debate about this. Like, just let people eat what they like. But if you had jalapenos, it's great. Like, I don't normally like a regular Hawaiian pizza with just the ham and pineapple. But once you make it spicy, it's just got an extra dimension that just makes it work. I'm 1000% behind you on that because I was firmly and I just, I don't like mixing fruit and meat in general. I mean, the 1950s, so, you good thing you didn't grow up. Then. <laughs> yeah, and then you have it all encased in jello yeah. too. So I think, um, the Hawaiian pizza is an abomination and just tastes gross. Yeah, um, I mean, have you tried it with jalapenos? I was going to say until <laughs> I was at Crooked Crab mm. and they make one where they, they don't have, I don't think it's jalapenos. I think it's just like um, banana peppers, but it's just enough heat where I'm like, yeah, yeah. this is really good now. So yeah, it, that you're just adding, you know, spice to like the flavor profile. Yeah. So you got, you have sweet, you have savory, yeah. So as long as, and you have spicy, as long as you have, the spicy as an escort to the pineapple, mm. then it can be on the pizza. If not, it's an abomination. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and mock someone for eating it, but I will never eat it because it's gross. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I say I hate ketchup, but I like it on fries. Yeah, I'm not. But it doesn't I, belong on a hot dog. Should be should be mustard. <laughs> that's where you. That's another line you. I don't know. I've got a bunch of weird rules. I don't. Really, I don't really care what other people do, but. <laughs> I've got my own lines drawn in the sand for myself. Uh, do you allow your food on your plate to touch each other, or does it? That that is weird. It is like I, I don't want to say anything offensive. Like I'm not going to say it's OCD, but like if you don't have OCD, <laughs> it is just being finicky and picky. And I mean, I've worked in restaurants for like my whole life. Like we we get a great staff meal at Thatcher and Rye, but. There's a lot to do, and I usually eat pretty fast, and I'll just you know, mix everything together. <laughs> it's like the Tasmanian devil going through it or something. And, I mean, if you're, like, cooking at home, like, everything you cook should be able to be eaten together, right? Like, if you have stuff you, on your place that tastes gross together, you made a bad meal. Yeah, I well, we've just had fairly in-depth conversations on this podcast with other people that, like, the, some even to the point where they only eat one thing at a time on their plate. They yeah, won't that's even. That's crazy. <laughs> then others like they but like they I got to start with the peas first. Yeah. yeah they, then I'll have mashed potatoes yeah. and then I will have my meat that has gotten cold. Yeah. I don't like things to touch on the plate, but I'm not going to flip out if they do. No, but I mean, and I think the only reason to not want something to like be in a bite together is if they just do not taste good together. <laughs> and if you have two things on your plate that shouldn't be eaten together, then they don't belong you made a bad plate. meal or you, <laughs> you picked the wrong side item at a restaurant. What is your most prized possession? Ooh, like material object. Yeah. Um, 
Well, my grandmother brought bought me a uh, Fender Telecaster a few years ago. Oh, that's pretty sweet. That's a nice guitar. What is your go-to gas station snack? Hmm. Like a gross one. Okay, so I'm a Sheets guy. It is the superior. It's better than Wawa. 100%. So they have these uh, <laughs> these fried chicken snack wraps at Sheets. They're amazing. And What I, do you get put on them? I get, I think, lettuce, <laughs> onion, I think diced tomato, shredded cheese, and then ranch and buffalo sauce. I'll say I don't do any sauces, but I add the black olives and pickles. Oh, uh, yeah. The, the, the buffalo ranch sauce. Yeah, it kicks. It's good. And uh, I mean, my go-to is just beef jerky, but I I love the jalapeno stuff, soft pretzels that sheets also. Yeah, my problem with beef but, jerky, <clears throat> aside from being like expensive, is that I like cannot stop eating it. And yeah, I'm that like, is a <laughs> I was like, we've done two days worth of our sodium intake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you were a NASCAR driver, who would three of your sponsors be? Hmm. Let's see. I mean, like, it would be fun to be sponsored by Slim Jims. <laughs> then you wouldn't have to worry about uh, Slim Jims, for sure. Uh, let's, let's just say uh, Slim Jims, Budweiser, and I don't know, Mountain Dew. That sounds fun. That sounds all-American. <laughs> yeah, that is. That's a that's an all-American trio there. Yeah. <laughs> uh What's the largest animal that you could defeat in hand-to-hand combat? I mean, I, I hear, like, people pose this, and they're like, oh, I could take a chimpanzee. It's like, no, it would kill you. Yeah, it would chew your face off. Yeah, so it'd have to be large and pretty docile. I don't yeah. want to say I would beat up a panda, but I could probably <laughs> beat up a panda. <laughs> they do move really slow, don't they? And they're very, like, they're they very look clumsy. Dumb. Yeah. Like, they can't even figure out how to procreate. They <laughs> Uh, although that's attributed to laziness, isn't it? Or I, something like that? I don't know. Uh, what is the most used emoji on your phone? Mm. Let's see. What, what's the one? Uh, I got to look at it. I don't, did they have names? I don't know if they have names. Probably, but I won't know it, so you're just going to have to describe. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, it shows you your most used emojis. So yeah. uh, here, here you go. Those are the... The the top one is this orange cat because I have oh. an orange cat. Okay, is that was and, that well good? like? And if I ask my girlfriend how the cat is, I mean obviously the cat's fine, but I'll just be like, <laughs> how is cat emoji? Or like the uh, the one with just like the waterfall tears. Okay, I over I I feel like I overuse the rolling tiered one, so I'll go back and forth between the two, so it doesn't feel excessive. <laughs> <laughs> But I I definitely overuse the thumbs up emoji because I respond to a lot of text messages with and I I have often thought like is that being looked at as passive aggressive from people or like dismissive? But I, still I, I like uh, I like okay with an exclamation point. I think okay without an exclamation point, you know, maybe but, you're just like okay. <laughs> I uh, I love the whole thing too. Like apparently, uh, people are offend- I guess younger people are offended if you put periods at the end of sentences. Now, uh, that's like a Gen Z thing. 
Oh, I don't know. As, as it's, it's I, I'm also like an English major, so I don't agree with that at yeah, all. Like that. So end of conversation there. Yeah, because yeah, what I saw is like, have we really reached the level of civilization that punctuation is considered offensive? I mean, I and guess then, I skip some punctuation and texting, but I use, you know, commas and capital letters and periods. And yeah, whatnot. so do I. I didn't. And it's, it's very easy to put a period. You just hit space twice and it automatically just puts it there. Yeah, I mean, your your phone will also put apostrophes where they're supposed to be. Yeah, so get over it, Gen Z. Um, what's your most unpopular food opinion? Mm, I don't know if I have one. Um, I, I think fried bologna sandwiches are great. That. And I remember I had one good bartender friend of mine, and uh, my like I like almost everything, but I hate kiwis. And he was like, I'll eat a fried bologna sandwich if you eat a kiwi because he thought fried bologna sandwiches were gross. And we both did. And we're both like, yeah, I still don't like them, but maybe not as bad as we thought. <laughs> yeah, that kiwis aren't exactly like a, strain, a strong flavor. I don't know. I just don't like them. And eggplant, not that great. Eggplant's disgusting. Especially, like, <laughs> I don't know. Why would you get eggplant parmesan when you can get chicken parmesan? I mean, I guess if, I mean, you're, if you're a vegetarian, vegetarian but yeah. then you should just get something that doesn't suck. Yeah, but they, they you probably make like fake chicken chicken yeah. parmesan. It'll still be better than eggplant parmesan. I don't know. I think the only thing that eggplant is good for is making something worse than what it would be without <laughs> eggplant. Like the yeah, consistency of it's gross. The uh, eggplant is garbage. I'm sure there's like. You know, I'm sure Brian could make something for me with eggplant, and I'd probably appreciate it at least. That's a, I mean, the, I, I think like, you know, it's. Um, I know we're doing like fun stuff, but like people always are like, "Oh, I can't do gin," like I hate gin, and I was like, "I guarantee you, I can make you a cocktail of gin." You like, you make like a citrusy, you know, bright, refreshing gin yeah, cocktail. They're gonna like taste it. The... I mean, you can taste it, but like, you know, people have misconceptions and bad past experiences with it. Why have even like people have said that they absolutely hate gin, like had them try the McClintock reserve and mm-hmm. liked it. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, if gin. they like darker spirits, I, <laughs> yeah. I could see them liking that. Cause I, I think that is an amazing spirit. Um, I used to go to a lot of the roast house pub uh, beer dinners. Oh, those I, are fun. Yeah. I stopped even looking at them cause all the time I would see it and I'm like, that does not sound good at all. And then it would be absolutely amazing. So I just I didn't need to look at the menu anymore. I knew whatever it was going to be, it was going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> so to that end, I, I do trust that most likely Brian Voltaggio can make something with an eggplant that I wouldn't think was complete garbage. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've never had any food from him that I haven't liked. I, that's why I like working with him. What is the strangest food you've ever eaten? Strangest. I mean, probably like head cheese. I don't know. Head cheese is like really weird. It's like face meat. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's, it's like, I don't know how to describe it. You'd have to like look it up. Yeah, but. I'm, gonna have to, I'm not sure what it is. What's the worst fashion decision you've ever made? Oh, like late 2000s, like when uh, American Apparel was like super popular, just like head to toe American Apparel. Yeah, head to toe <laughs> American Apparel, like. Bright colors, um, you know, like checkerboard vans. Nice. Just looking like an absolute hipster. 
we'll do one more. If you had a pet parrot, what's the first thing you would teach it to say? Mm, I don't know. Can it be like a phrase? Yeah. I mean, like it would have to be something that would just like shock your friends or something like, <laughs> like within reason, hopefully. <laughs> like, there's definitely some things you could teach. No, nah, like you just teach it a phrase, and it's like, "I foretell your death will be tomorrow," <laughs> <laughs> and that's just what it says that would, that, to all strangers. That would be hilarious, <laughs> especially because you know there'd yeah, be a some sort of, of prophecy like, of yeah. like impending, impending doom. Yes. <laughs> All right, Josh, thank you so much for your time today and for making absolutely delicious old fashions. Thanks, man. I look forward to making you another drink sometime soon. I would probably Friday. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.